I listened to that song uh, earlier in the week, and uh, it really made me think about God's grace and His love, the, the unmerited favor uh, that He showed to us. And last week, we asked the question, um, are all religions the same? Or maybe another way of putting it is, is what's so different, what's so unique uh, about Christianity? And we said it's really God's grace. It's, it's His unconditional love for us. It's His unmerited favor. We don't deserve God's love for us. We can't earn His love for us, yet He shows that to us. And that's the bottom line of Christianity. That's what's unique about Christianity. But as we continue in our series, Why God?, where we're asking a number of different questions, the question that we're coming to this week that we're, that we're actually ending our series with is, is Christianity a straitjacket? Is it this constraining set of rules and regulations that are kind of put there either to control us or to keep us from having fun or, or whatever it may be. And unfortunately, too often that's the way Christianity is practiced and that's the way that Christianity is viewed by a lot of people. If you don't do the right things, you're not a good Christian. If you don't hang out with the right people, or actually it's more like if you hang out with the wrong people, then you're not a good Christian. If you don't serve, if you're not you know, continually involved in your church in this particular way, or if you're not giving the right amount of money, or if you smoke, drink, and chew and go with the girls that do, you know, whatever it is, you are not, you know, you got that one, huh? You're, you know, you're not a good Christian. And for so many people, and some of us have come from that kind of a background, it's not about our faith in God. It's not about God's grace it's about our behavior. It's about how we live our lives. It's about the impression that we give to the people around us. Never mind what God thinks of us. It becomes about what other people think about us. And then we use that to control and to manipulate one another. And you ask yourself the question, is that what Christianity is about? And I don't think that it is. I don't think that's what the Bible says. I don't think that's what God says it means to be a follower of Jesus. Christianity is not a straitjacket. Now, don't misunderstand me. God is concerned about our behavior. He does want us to live in a way that reflects His character, that honors Him, that shows love to other people around us. But that's not the bottom line of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The bottom line about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ is recognizing that no matter how hard I try, no matter what I do, I'll never live up to the perfect standard that God has for us. And He understands that. He knows that. And that's what His grace is about. That's why Jesus came. That's why He died. That's why He rose again so that we could be restored to a right relationship with our Heavenly Father in spite of the fact that we don't always live the way that he wants us to live in the way that we know if we're honest with ourselves, we ought to be living. So is Christianity a straitjacket? No. But so often it's seen to be that way and so often it's practiced that way. And some people look at the Ten Commandments kind of as, as the epitome of this whole thing about Christianity being a straitjacket, being a rules-based religion. It's all these thou shalt nots. Actually, there's a couple of thou shalts, but we always think of it as all these thou shalt not. You know, don't worship anything or anyone except God. Don't blaspheme. Keep the Sabbath, which means you can't have any fun 
on Sundays. You know, obey your parents. Don't murder. Don't cheat on your spouse. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet. You know, and if you step back from that for a minute, you realize that stuff's not so bad. I mean, what's wrong about not stealing, about not lying, about not coveting, about honoring your parents, about loving each other, about worshiping God, about taking a day off every week to rest? Those are all good things. But sometimes we take those good rules, those good commandments, and turn them into a straitjacket that either is intended to control us or that ends up inducing fear and guilt and this sense of obligation instead of the sense of joy that ultimately God was originally intending for us to have as we live the way that He wants us to live. And if you think about the context in which God gave the Ten Commandments to His people, to the children of Israel back in the Old Testament, a couple of thousand years before uh, Jesus came on the scene. If you think back to the, the history in the Old Testament, the Jewish people were enslaved in the nation of, of Egypt for about 400 years. And the Egyptians forced them to build their cities. They, fill, they forced them to make bricks so that they could build their cities. They forced them to work in their fields. And then it actually got so bad, the Egyptians were worrying that the, that the Israelites were multiplying too quickly and were going to become too powerful for them. So the Egyptians mounted this campaign of infanticide where they forced the Jews to kill their male children when they're born. And so Israel's in this slavery, in this straitjacket, in a sense, in, in Egypt. And God raises up a man named Moses to lead the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And, and God enabled Moses to perform all these miracles, turning uh, the, the Nile River into blood and sending pestilence on cattle and all sorts of different things in order to convince the Egyptian king Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go. And if you're not familiar with that story, you can find it in the opening chapters of the book of Exodus, which is the second book uh, in the Old Testament, the second book in the Bible. Take a few minutes this week and read that if you're not familiar with what was happening there. But it's in that context that ultimately God is going to give the Ten Commandments. So, after God brings the Israelites out of Egypt, you've got two million or so people living out in the middle of the desert, living out in the middle of nowhere. They've got one leader, a guy named Moses, whose, you know, whose qualifications include that he was a shepherd on the backside of the desert for about 40 years. So, you've got two million people, one leader, and absolutely no laws. And what you got there, essentially, is a recipe for disaster. Because if you think about it, from one perspective, a lack of leaders and a lack of rules and regulations can sound pretty attractive to us. But if you think that sounds attractive, take two toddlers, put them in a kitchen alone for an hour and tell them to have fun, and then come back. And then let me know what you think about having no rules, regulations, and leaders and supervision going on. You put two million people out in the middle of the desert, out in the middle of nowhere, those two million people who for all of their lives have been told every minute of every day exactly what to do, you put them out in the middle of nowhere with no rules, no regulations, and no leadership, and it's going to be a disaster. It's going to fall apart. And so it's in that context that God gives them a constitution. He gives them a body of laws to help govern them 
so that they'll know how to live their lives, so that they'll know how to relate to one another, so that they'll know how to relate to him. Because actually, the Israelites really weren't familiar with their God. They hadn't been following him for the past 400 years. So God gave them the Ten Commandments. And we usually think of just the Ten Commandments as the law, as the constitution that God had given to Israel. But there are actually 613 different commandments in the Old Testament. And those 613 commandments, those rules, those regulations, form the constitution of the nation of Israel. And God's goal wasn't so much to control them, it's to protect them. It's to enable them to flourish. It's to enable them to enjoy the freedom that he had given to them when he brought them out of, of slavery in Egypt. I mean, just imagine for, for a minute if you lived in a community in which everybody respected one another, right? You wouldn't have to worry about somebody breaking into your house and, and, and stealing your possessions or, or stealing your car. You, know, you wouldn't have to worry about somebody trying to hurt you or do wrong to you or speak ill of you. My parents talked about uh, when, when I was born, I was born in a small college town uh, out in Iowa. I haven't been back since I was about 18 months old. My parents decided to move to Connecticut. I figured I ought to move with them because I was hungry. You know, so I, I went and, and, and decided to do that. But they tell me stories about what it was like living in Iowa. I think the town's name was Mayberry. Actually, it was Grinnell, but the way it sounds, it sounds like it sounds a little bit like Mayberry. They said that when we would go on vacation, they'd leave the doors to the house unlocked. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And they said, well, what would happen if somebody needed to get in the house when we were gone? They wouldn't have a key. They wouldn't be able to get in. I'm like, you're kidding me. And they said, no, that's the way it was in that town. Everybody left their doors unlocked because everybody trusted everybody. Try doing that today in Summit or in Short Hills or wherever you live and, you know, find out what it's like to live without rules and regulations and locks and, you know, and, and, and those sorts of things. But imagine if you lived in a community where parents loved their children, really cared for their children, where children honored their parents, a community where everybody would take a day off from work every week and just enjoy being with one another, being with their families, hanging out with their friends and neighbors, worshiping God and, and, and so on. That's a community that's built essentially around the principles that are found in the Ten Commandments. What's interesting is thousands of years later, the Apostle Paul, who was one of the leaders of the early Christian church, he's reflecting on this. He's reflecting on the Old Testament law, and he puts it this way. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves one another has fulfilled the law. And he's talking about the law, the constitution of Israel in the Old Testament. He goes on, he says, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Whatever other command there may be, they're summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Imagine if we lived in a community where we all loved one another. And that's the community that God was creating with the nation of Israel when he gave them the Ten Commandments. His goal was not to control them. His goal was to help them to enjoy the freedom that he'd given them. Think about our seatbelt laws, right? We've got laws that tell us if you don't wear your seatbelt, you're going to get a ticket. 
The, the seatbelt laws literally restrain us, but they exist ultimately to protect us, not to control us. Think of, you've probably seen the signs on the side of the road, click it or ticket. Very memorable, you know, and it's that motivation. If I don't wear my seatbelt, I'm going to get pulled over and I'm going to have to pay a fine for that. And it's a, it's a catchy phrase and it's easy to remember, but the focus is really, in a sense, a negative motivation. Take a look at a video I wanted to show us for a minute. It's of a commercial for seat belts that aired in England about five years ago. Take a look and see what this one shows. Click it or ticket or embrace life. Which one is more likely to motivate us to want to buckle up, you know, on the way home? I love that. I love that commercial because it's really getting at the heart behind the seatbelt laws. Goal is not to control us, to, to constrain us, to make driving no fun. The goal is so that we can preserve our lives because we love our family members and, and, and the people around us. The Ten Commandments don't actually start with an actual command. We think of them as those ten rules that are listed, but the introductory phrase to the Ten Commandments, the introductory sentence, sets up God's heart behind the Ten Commandments. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then he goes into the Ten Commandments. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. He reminds them he just freed them from slavery. And then he gives them the Ten Commandments. He says, I love you. And now here's I want you to live so that you can enjoy that love. He says, I've given you freedom. Now, if you want to enjoy that freedom, if you don't want to end up trading the slavery of Egypt for a different kind of slavery, then here's how you need to live. And then the Ten Commandments focus on their relationship with God and their relationship with one another. He says, if you want to enjoy the freedom that I've given you, then love me and love one another. And that's what the Ten Commandments are all about. So they're not this set of rules and regulations that are, that are designed to constrain and control us and be a straitjacket. They're designed to enable us to live a life of freedom that God intended for us to have. And, and yes, it's true. We're not the Old Testament nation of Israel. So we're not under the, the rules and regulations, the constitution that God had given to the nation of Israel. 
But the Ten Commandments and so many of the other commands in the Old Testament are based on God's character, and God's character hasn't changed. People are created in God's image. So we don't murder not just because it's a law, but because people are created in God's image. And who are we to destroy someone who is created in the image of God? And so all of those commandments, whether it's worshiping God or not stealing or not coveting, even resting are based on the character of God. And so as we live our lives in accordance with whether it's the Ten Commandments or other commands that God has given us, it's not so that we can have a relationship with God, it's because we do have a relationship with God. And if we want to enjoy that relationship, if we want to enjoy the life that He offers to us and that He's given to us, then the greatest freedom that we can have is to live the life the way that God intended for us to live. And that's God's heart behind giving to Israel the Ten Commandments or us the various commands that He's given us both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But one of the problems with all that is we're unable to do it. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, no matter how hard we try, we'll never perfectly live up to really any of those commandments. And what's interesting is Jesus in the New Testament, He says, you know, you've heard that it's said, don't murder. But I say to you, if you're angry with someone, if you want to hurt them in your heart, you've essentially con committed murder in your heart. And he goes on and he gives examples like that. And so if we're honest with ourselves, all of us fall short. None of us are able to live up to those commandments. And it becomes, it becomes kind of like a vicious cycle. And that in and of itself is constraining and kind of like a straitjacket. And that's exactly what happened to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. No matter what God said, no matter what God did, they were either unwilling or unable to live the way that God wanted them to live. So he sent one of the prophets, a man named Ezekiel, to them. And Ezekiel says on behalf of God, he says, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you, and here's the key. I'm going to move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God says to his people who were, in a sense, constitutionally incapable of living the way that he told them that they ought to live, he says, okay, I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you'll want to live the way that I've told you you ought to live if you're going to flourish, if you're going to enjoy the life, if you're going to enjoy the freedom that, that I've given you. And my Spirit's going to enable you to live that way so that you can enjoy the life and the freedom that I've given you. And as Michael mentioned earlier, starting next week, we're going to be doing a, a four-week series that, that AJ and I and Peter Pendell are going to be doing where we're going to be talking about what does it mean to live a life that's looking to God to enable us to exhibit the kind of character that He wants us to exhibit. And I'm looking forward to that series, and I hope you'll come back uh, for that. But God says to us, I'm going to enable you to do what I'm asking you to do. And what you need to do is to look to me, to trust in me, and to ask me to help you to live that a way that I want you to live. But in addition to that frustration that can come from the, 
from feeling like we can never live up to those standards. There's also the fear and the guilt that comes with that. The fear that if I don't live the right way, that God is going to be mad at me and he's going to reject me. Or the guilt that I feel because yet again, I've done that thing over and over and over again, whatever it may be. And then, then we've got Christians who use that fear and they use that guilt to try to manipulate us and control us, and that all kind of conspires together to suck all the fun and to suck all the joy out of our lives. And while it's true that God wants us to obey Him, we don't need to be controlled by the fear of, of failing and by the guilt that goes with that failure. We don't need to be controlled by that because at the heart of Christianity is not a set of rules and regulations that we need to keep in order to have a right relationship with God. At the heart of Christianity is His grace, is His unmerited favor, is Him doing for us what we were unable to do for ourselves. And Paul, looking at that, he puts it this way. He says, therefore, there's now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of of sin and the law of death. Paul's saying God in Christ Jesus has freed us from the, the fear. He's freed us from the guilt. He's freed us from the condemnation of the fact that we don't always live up to God's law. Yes, God still wants us to try. He still wants us to live up to his law, but he knows that we're going to fail and he's made provision for us. And when we do fail, John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, he'll forgive us our sins, he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. So we don't have to live with this constant fear, we don't have to live with this constant guilt, we don't have to be controlled by that fear and that guilt because God loves us not because of how well we behave, but because of what Christ has done. And if we're looking to him and saying, I can't do it, but you have done it, please forgive me. Please help me to follow after you. If we're looking at Christ for that forgiveness, for that grace, for that unconditional love, then there's no condemnation for us. And we don't have to live in the straitjacket of fear and of guilt and of manipulation. This past week, uh, as we do many weeks, we posted on Facebook talking about the topic uh, that we're going to be uh, addressing today. And we posted the question, is Christianity a, a straitjacket? And I was looking at what people said about it. And uh, one of the comments in response to that question on Facebook sparked an idea in my mind. It really helped me to, to, to see the way this person responded to that question, really helped me to see something that's at the heart, at the essence of the answer to the question, is Christianity a straitjacket? And I think the answer is Christianity is not a straitjacket, it's a life jacket. You know, it's, it's, it's something that rescues us. It's something that keeps us from drowning. When we turn from our sin, when we turn away from our sin and we look to Jesus and we say, save me, help me, I can't do it on my own. He rescues us. He gives us life. He forgives us. 
He removes the guilt and the fear and the shame and the condemnation from us. He says, I've come that they may have life and that they may have life to the full. So Christianity is a life jacket in the sense that it saves us from drowning, but it goes a step further than a life jacket goes. And Christianity isn't just something that saves us from drowning. It isn't just something that saves us from the consequences of sin. It's something that enables us to live life to the fullest, to, to enjoy the life that God intended for us to have when He created us. So rather than sucking the fun, sucking the joy out of life, rather than constraining us, rather than being a set of shackles, it's a freedom from slavery. It's a freedom to be who God created us to be. It's a freedom to enjoy the life that God wants us to have in relationship with Him and in relationship with one another. Rather than being a straitjacket, it's a life jacket. It's a life of love, both of God and of one another. The Jewish religious leaders who were really good at turning Judaism into a straitjacket, and sometimes today we turn Christianity into a straitjacket. The Jewish religious leaders who were really good at turning Judaism into a straitjacket came to Jesus one day and they said, Teacher, what's the greatest of all of the commandments? And Jesus replied, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the prophets hang on these two commandments. If you work your way through the Ten Commandments, if you really work your way through essentially any command, any rule, any regulation, any teaching that's given in the Bible, it'll fall under one of those two categories. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Imagine if we as a church, if we were a community of people who loved God with our whole hearts, who were totally devoted to Him, a community who recognized that God is our creator, that He's our redeemer, that He's our sustainer, that He loves us more than anyone could ever love us, that He loves us not because of the way that we behave. He loves us in spite of the way that we behave. He loves us on the basis of His character because He is love. He loves us enough to have sent His Son to die and to rise again so that we could have a right relationship with Him, so that we wouldn't have to be condemned for being unable to live up to the standards, for being unable to perfectly exhibit His character. Imagine if we were a community that loved, that saw God that way and loved Him that way, and then we don't just love God, but we love one another. Imagine if we were a community that loved one another the way that God loved us, that cared for each other the way that Michael was talking about earlier, a community where we both love God and we love one another. That's what Christianity is all about. That's the kind of church that Christianity is all about. Christianity isn't a straitjacket. It's a life jacket. It's about finding, finding the life that God is offering to us, finding the freedom 
that God is offering to us and then enjoying that life and enjoying that freedom that God created us to have. And that's the life that he offers us when we look to him and we say, I don't have what it takes, but you do. And I need that life. I need that love. I need that grace. And I need that forgiveness. And when we do that, God doesn't constrain us. He frees us to be the people whom he created us to be. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are a God who loves us. I thank you that you're a God who frees us. I thank you that you're the God who gave us life. And I thank you that because of Jesus' death and his resurrection, we can have life. And I pray that you would help us wherever we are in our spiritual journey, whether we're just starting out or whether we've been following you for years, help us to know and help us to remember that even in spite of the fact that we don't always live the way that you would want us to live, you still love us and all we need to do is come to you and ask for your grace, ask for your love, ask for your forgiveness. And we can be restored both to a right relationship with you and to one another. So Father, I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts to give us a greater and greater appreciation for your love for us and give us a greater and greater love for you. And then because of that, I pray that we would have an increasing love for one another. And then I pray that as our, our friends and our neighbors and, and our loved ones see the love that we have for you and for one another, I pray that they would be drawn to the life that you offer and to the freedom that you offer in Jesus Christ. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. I'm glad that you guys were able to come out this morning. If you want to chat or pray, I'm hanging out up front here. Mike will be in the back and uh, would love to see you next week. Thanks. Thanks.